Welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. This is Drew Sample. This is Wes Sample and at Clever Wes. Oh, and I'm at Drew Sample. And we're very honored today. We have a very special guest today. We have Mr. Daniele Bellelli. How are you doing today, sir? Good. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, thank you very much for taking the time on your schedule to join us. Yeah. It is my pleasure. Between uh, putting a baby to bed and punching people in the head, <laughs> I'm always glad to. <laughs> that's awesome um but yeah um so i reached out to you on facebook just to let people know um i think after the first time i heard you on rogan's podcast mm -hmm. and uh i know at the time like you were you were dealing with uh losing your wife and i had actually just lost one of my best friends and on the mm -hmm. way back from the wake was when i listened to your podcast and it was just uh I don't know, just stuff you were saying was really resonating with me, and and, uh, and I really wanted to uh, get a chance to talk to you about just, I mean, I, I know personally for me, like, I'm not a Christian by right. any means, and being at a funeral and not being a Christian is just incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, funerals in general are 
they are kind of weird rituals, not particularly fun for the most part. They are, I don't know, man, there's this sense of penitence and people all, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's a sucky occasion. So people, of course, there's an element of sadness, but if you're going to do it that way, it just seem like more beating oneself up for this. I don't know. I don't get funerals. They don't make an incredible amount of sense to me. Now, one of the things that we've done, um, so we, we come from a, a slightly Irish background and mm-hmm. things that they like to do. First of all, they have the very somber uh, funeral where everyone goes and feels terrible and cries. And then afterwards, we all usually go out to a bar and try to celebrate that person and tell good stories of them while everyone's getting drunk. And that, I like the second part a lot better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It makes a lot more sense to celebrate somebody's life. Yeah, exactly. Rather than just... I mean, I, th- I think like a, a big problem for me and it's just in general, like the, the whole idea of death, like something else that resonated with me is like you were kind of talking about death with dignity. And I remember mm-hmm. I sent you a message about if you saw how to die in Oregon and you said you hadn't at the time. But I think it's just like this crazy taboo that we're not allowed. Like if like here's the thing, like if I have Alzheimer's, right, I'm not going to want to live shitting my pants and pissing in my chair because I think it's my toilet. Yeah. Like, like that's just not an idea to me, but but that's illegal for me to want to end my life or to humanely end my life instead of taking a gun to my head and blowing my brains out. And I just think that's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. I was just looking at uh, some piece of news yesterday, I believe, out of Belgium. And in Belgium, they have the exact opposite kind of laws. Not only euthanasia is legal in cases of people who have terminal illnesses, but it's also in cases, uh, in any case in which a doctor deems that whatever the condition is, is causing tremendous suffering to the person, they can decide to go anytime. And so there was the case of these two twins who, um, they were already deaf. I mean, I, I did, in the, the article didn't specify clearly what exactly were the health problems, but they had gone deaf and they were going blind. And the thought of going blind or middle age and they were like the idea of not seeing each other. They obviously had a very tight bond and stuff. And the idea of not seeing any, each other anymore was just too much for them. And so they decided with their doctor, they wanted to check out. And uh, they, from the way it was described, they had a very pleasant ritual almost about it. And they checked out. And I was like, well, that's fucking civilized. You know what I mean? It's like that's adults making a decision about their own life and rather than splattering their brain over the kitchen wall by shooting themselves in the head, they do it in a way that's painless and pleasant, kind of the way you would do. I mean, we do that with dogs, you know, we do yeah. that with pets, but you can do it with a loved one if they are human. There's something really weird about that because, I mean, nobody's telling you, you know, you don't want to do it. Don't do it. You know, you want to hang on till the very last and be by all means. That's a free choice. And that's what you should do if that's what you want. But don't prevent other people from making that choice for themselves. That just drives me insane. That to me is like the litmus test when people talk about freedom. That to me is the the big one. More than even like issue like war on drugs or other things. To me, the big one is this one is do you let people die how they want or not? Because if you don't, all the talk about freedom is just bullshit. 
I find it pretty interesting as well that so much of life, and speaking of freedoms, is is the freedom to go and, and pleasure your senses and to do things your own way. Yeah. Um, and, and there's so many choices that people get to make and don't infringe on my rights and all these other ways. But when you think about death, so many people, and it's basically everyone, you're either dying in a hospital or in some, some worse way where you're away from your loved ones, you're with strangers or something along those lines, you're not in your, your comfortable setting. Why not yeah. have that option to say, you know what, we're, we're going to have someone come in, they're going to take care of it. You're going to be in the comfort of your own home. You're going to make your decisions. You get to go out the way you want to. Yep. Even prisoners on death row, get to, they get to choose their final meal. And other people don't get to choose it, people yep. who are just suffering. Yep. And yep. It, it just blows my mind that people don't don't want to say, well, let's, let's take that freedom one step further. Everyone's going to die. Why yep. not have a, a little bit of a choice in, in how you go out? Absolutely. I mean, for me personally, I can't think of too many other ways to go. You know, it's just like... It should be when you want. And it goes back, I mean, the opposition to this stuff goes back a lot to some religious stuff where the idea is, well, it's not your life to deal as you wish. It's uh, God is in charge and God decide when you live or when you die, which, again, great if you believe in that stuff, then go for it. But you can't impose by law your own religious prejudice on everyone else. You know what I mean? If that's your belief, you should absolutely be free to go that route. But don't fucking impose it on everyone else. Yeah, it's it's almost like a violation of separation of church and state. I mean, absolutely. That, that more that that sense of morality that's that's forced on us to feel like we're like we're we're somehow lesser people by wanting to end our own lives and yep. on our own terms. Yep, yep, yeah, and. Uh, yeah, that rubs me wrong on so many levels because it's really just like the arrogance of somebody wanting to literally control how you live and how you die, which is, I mean, if there's anything that's more of an individual choice, if there's anything that's truly sacred, it should be those kind of choices, you know. And, uh, you know, how much more personal than how you're going to die does it get? And yeah. instead having somebody else tell you how it should be, Fuck that. You know, that's just insane. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, and like, and here's the weird thing too, like, and, and I'm not saying by any means that if, you know, if you're struggling with cancer or anything that you should just end your life, but I think you should have that option. I mean, if, if anybody has watched anybody suffer yeah, and, and I think, but at the same time, I wonder how much of that suffering, like, like uh, my uncle, like he was diagnosed with cancer and he was diagnosed with like six months to live. He ended up living like 15 years. Right. But eventually like, like he lost the battle. I mean, he went into jaundice, his skin and his scleras turned yellow. Right. And it was just hard to watch. I mean, that wasn't who my uncle was. Like my uncle yep. was this, this power, like he was like a tough guy and he, he lived through a lot of stuff, but like eventually my aunt just had to say, you know, you don't have to fight anymore. And then right. it was like a matter of a couple of weeks and then he was gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, and that's one of the things is a personal choice, you know. So if somebody is not ready, they wanna, they want to uh, go without an intervention. That should be their free choice, you know what I mean? That's why when people, have, anytime people talk about euthanasia, and then all the opposition start freaking out about government death panels, you know, doctors are gonna decide whether you live or where you die. This is the exact opposite, is putting individuals in charge, you know, allowing individuals to make their choices both ways. Uh, you can use as much medical help as you want to try to hang on for as long as you want, or you can have the right to 
terminate it right now without pain. Bottom line is it should be the individual in charge and no one else. The notion that the government should make laws affecting this decision, in fact, there should be a total freedom for doctors to do what they want in this regard with, and that's the underlying part 10 times, with consent of the patient, because that's what it boils down to. And and it's it's kind of interesting because uh, it, it's it's a choice of how people want to deal with pain, and you'll see it the same way when a woman's giving birth. They have the right to get an epidural, or they can refuse it and, yeah. and give it by another standards. And that's the woman's choice in terms of what she wants to do with that pain. And there's no right r- answer or wrong answer. It depends on the person and and the choice. And even that is crazy, because if you see most hospitals, they if a woman doesn't want an epidural, they go nuts. They're like, mm-hmm. but what do you mean you don't want it? This is how we do things. You know, this is like they'll fight. I mean, eventually they will let they let you because they have to, but they'll fight you to death on it. And they and you can imagine the kind of pressure when somebody is going through stuff. Somebody else is coming in and say, really, are you sure you don't want an epidural? You know, there's this constant pressure that just. It's the same thing, you know, is wanting to do one size fit all, that whether how you give birth, how you die, everybody should do it the same exact way. And um, it's, there really is the anti-freedom by definition. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's similar even now, like, uh, I don't know if you saw, but like Bloomberg put in this thing in the city of New York where if you don't, if you don't want to breastfeed, they make you watch all these videos to try to convince you to breastfeed and that it's your way better parent for breastfeeding. It's right. just like this implied knowledge by the government that's just it's just it's just offensive. I mean, right. it's that's the only way to put it. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I mean, as long as it's um uh, information campaign, you know, like they're trying to convince you of their thing about whatever. Okay, whatever. Give me all the information you want. You want to tell me whatever it is, gambling is bad, the drugs are bad, whatever it is, fine, no problem, you know, nothing wrong with information. But once you take the step of going from information to enforcement of morality by law, that's a whole different game, because that's like the ultimate violation of individual freedom. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sorry, I was going to say something, I totally (laughs) forgot what I was going to (laughs) say. Really good story. Dude. Yeah, it was a great story. <laughs> well, what I was gonna say, like, like back to like the topic of of uh, of death and everything, like, mm-hmm. like I, I think it's important for, I, but like I think that's like my issue with funerals, though. Like I know that it's it is, you know, it's it's meant for the family and everything, but the problem is, is it's like it's always, I mean, like the most offensive things for me and was. My friend who he was hit by a car and mm-hmm. he was totally an atheist. Like he wrote this paper about being an atheist right. in college. And then they had this like this reverend guy and, <laughs> and his family wasn't even religious. And his this reverend is telling us and he's like crying and he didn't even know my friend. And he's like right. putting on this this act. And he's saying how he, Jesus was with him and Jesus picked him up and he carried him to heaven. And I'm just like, this is just fucking bullshit. This is just yeah. I mean, Jerry would literally punch this guy in the face if he heard him yeah. talking about him that way. Like, he'd right. be horribly offended. But, like, I understand that it's for the family, but at the same time, like, it's it shouldn't be selfish like that. Like, yeah. like people need to, like, be okay with the thought of, hey, you know what, today could be the last day that I'm alive. Right. Or, and, it, 
and I think it's 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 just like that fear of of uncertainty and and I don't know what else it, it is, but it's it's just crazy to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's for sure. That's how it is. Um. <laughs> What? Sorry, I thought you were gonna say something. No, no. no. <laughs> Sorry, Danielle. No worries. He he keeps taking these breaths as if he's gonna talk, and I look over at him, and he stares at me <laughs> like, like he's a pet, like expecting a doggy treat or something. <laughs> Give him a doggy treat already. Yeah. <laughs> Drew needs a Scooby snack. I need some <laughs> Scooby snacks for get to get energized. Um, but I know, like, like for myself personally, like. Even though I don't necessarily believe it was true, but for some reason, like the Tibetan Book of the Dead, mm-hmm. for some strange reason, gave me like this uh, this okayness with dying, and I don't, and I can't even explain it because I'm not, I don't really even believe in it. But it was just something for me that was alternative, and it it didn't seem like it didn't seem like some earthly propaganda, like the whole heaven and hell argument. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, I like what do you like? about the afterlife and everything like uh i guess like what is like what are your thoughts about like i think it's a good thing but at the same time like it's like to me i I feel sometimes it's 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 kind of like a cop-out for not really dealing with losing somebody with the idea of and i don't want to sound offensive at all but with the idea with the hope of like i'm gonna see this person again and they have to have a certainty like to me i feel like you're not really dealing with losing that person right yeah, I mean, it's one of the things is uh, the fact is nobody knows, you know, nobody has a real idea of what's up. Some versions of the story are clearly like too fairy tale to even be remotely believable. You know, the whole uh, God remakes you your body and you go back to your the best you have ever looked and you're going to be it's no, you know, it's like it's the ultimate uh, Disneyland uh, Christmas fantasy, you know. And it sounds like, come on, man, you know, this is just really, you can see through it in a way that is such a desperate attempt to pretend that that doesn't exist as to want to imagine exactly what you would want it to be, right? You are renewed with your loved ones, your body's in perfect shape, happily ever after, la, 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 you know? Um, But then even if you reject the most, ridiculous aspects of it all the reality is nobody knows and who the hell knows what happens you know maybe there's nothing maybe there's something maybe there's some form of reincarnation maybe there is nobody has a clue and people can't stand the the fact of not knowing you know it drives insane Mm -hmm. and so people has to fill this void with a whole series of random conjectures about it and it's even funnier because the bottom line is nobody knows and I mean, the universe is a weird place. I'm not like a hardcore atheist or anything where I think uh, purely in strict materialistic terms, just because I've seen and experienced enough shit that just doesn't make sense according to our current understanding of the universe, that certainly it opens me to the thought that the universe is weirder and more complicated than I can possibly imagine. But that doesn't mean I'm going to make up theories about it. You know what I mean? Doesn't mean like... Um, like, for example, when uh, he was weird, like when um, when my wife died, she, uh, and not at the moment of that, not an hour, not two hours, but a good four to five hours later, she just got this huge smile on her face. 
And everybody walking into the room was like, what the hell is going on? Why is she smiling? You know, that just doesn't make any sense. I have no idea. You know, all I know is that it's weird and that's not really how that bodies are supposed to behave, yep. you know. But do I know what happened or based on that I can make up some random, oh, it really means that the spirit, I don't know. I have no idea. You know, I just know that it's definitely outside uh, the the standards of what we think could and should happen in those moments. But, you know, building on it would be lying to myself. Yeah, that's something that's that's pretty interesting. Uh, it, as long as man's been around, they've always been searching for the why things happen. Why? Right. I mean, that's that's why. That shaking of the sky. Oh, well, that's that's the gods fighting because they're angry. Right. 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 Hurricane come in. Well, you know, you didn't make a large enough sacrifice to that god. Or. Um, and, and that can even be in what, what's the harder question than death in the afterlife as anything else you can kind of research, but in terms of anything we, we have now there, there's no search after death and there's, there's no way anyone can actually anticipate. You know? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's, that's the ultimate cutoff in terms of our, our knowledge. Yeah. It's going to be the most interesting question is the one that we can never answer. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. I the ultimate mindfuck, right? It's like it's what we want to know the most and what we have no idea on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think something else that's interesting, like just just thinking about like um, what you said, your your wife's body just started smiling. Like, I th- mm-hmm. it's interesting too, like dreams that I've had after losing, oh, yeah. and like, and I really feel like I've communicated with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the, the the whole like after reading like DMT, the spirit molecule, and everything, and knowing that like DMT is what makes you dream, but I still like I'm just like you know it could just be my subconscious mind like helping me deal with my loss, and like I've had sure, except when you have some weird concrete evidence of stuff that's not supposed to work that way. When it's not just a feeling of like oh I really felt like I talked to that person. But like maybe, I don't know if it ever happens to you, but maybe like either in a dream or in through some random intuition, you go on some crazy gut feeling that wasn't in your brain a minute ago and it turns out to be true. You know what I mean? Or you dream of somebody that you haven't seen in 10 years, never even thought about them for the last 10 years, and you run into them the morning after you dream about them. You know, stuff like that is where suddenly you think, Okay, maybe there's a little more to it than just subconscious stuff. Yeah, I mean the the universe and the world is 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 far more complex, and each there it's kind of like the English language. There's an exception for every single rule. Yep, and it's kind of that way in life. I mean, you can base your life on certain principles and facts that that are are pretty hardcore. Um, but there's always that one exception of uh, that that breaks the mold. I mean, everyone thought that the world was flat, and then they find out, oh, well, it's not. Well, everyone then had to know that the Earth was the center of the universe, and then they find out, oh, well, it's not. And and that's kind of how how so many other things will work too, um, in terms of how things get broken. I mean, that kind of like what we were saying before, in terms of what we can plan for and and see. There there's so many. St- or things that we don't see going on that there's there's no way that we can possibly explain them right yeah and that's uh, and that's what I'll, will really drive people crazy because I mean it takes an enormous amount of self-confidence to live with what you are describing 
with this idea of uh, non-knowing, embracing the fact that the deepest uh, secrets of life, so to speak, we have no answer and neither does anybody else. Um, most people simply can't accept that. It just drives them insane. They need some kind of certainty, either in the certainty of there is a good and just God that's doing this and this for this and that reason, or at least some atheist certainty of there's absolutely nothing, it's pure uh, physical processes and nothing else. Even that's a certainty of some kind, you know, to some degree it relieves this sense of not being able to have a solid, firm conclusion about the nature of the universe. The reality is that they are all made up. You know, they are all based on uh, ignoring a huge chunk of evidence, taking gigantic leaps of faith, and uh, wanting desperately to find an answer where there is none. Yeah, and that's... uh... Kind of like with the Raglan scale, uh, with all major religions and everything like that as well. They all kind of try to answer that that one major question. Um, well, you're all going to die. Well, here's what happens after you die. Right. Is why you should be a good person now. Right. Uh, kind of gives people a, a meaning to their life instead of, well, gosh, I, I don't know what's going to happen. What should I do? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then yeah. and sort of that like – a paralysis by analysis thing going on where mm-hmm. it's because they don't know what to do they just freeze yeah 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 which i don't understand frankly because to me it's like whether life has meaning or doesn't there's it's still ongoing right right here right now there's still uh, uh, ways to be happy way to be sad way to make others around you insanely happy or desperate you know there are very concrete things that you can do that have an effect on other people um, so the the idea of not knowing exactly the deepest secrets of life doesn't really bug me a bit but it seems to bug most people apparently and um, and I don't know it uh, it puzzles me a little bit Exactly, and I agree with you 100%. That's actually one of the things I actually use that more as a reason of, because you don't know what's going to happen, that's exactly why you should really, really appreciate and value the right now and yeah. start of your life. Uh, do everything that you want because you don't know what's what's going to happen, one, in the future, and two, you don't know what happens after you die. Just get in all the living that you can. Exactly, right here, right now, you know. Appreciate your loved ones. Do things that you want to do. Make things happen and, and just really enjoy things, um, because you only have right now. So you can you can look back to the past and see what you did then, but you can't even really plan on the future. Right. No, absolutely. There is in that sense there is no past and there is no future. You know, past is gone. Future is. Pff, who knows what's going to happen anyway? You can make all the plans you want. Doesn't really mean shit because. The universe is a way to completely ignore in your plans. So really the only place where you have any kind of power is this very second and nothing else. Yeah. Powerful. It's very powerful, man. I think I think that's what's so appealing about, like, for me personally, about, like, um, about Taoism and Buddhism is just because it's it just focuses on, like, staying, I, I think, like, embracing the journey of life. And like just embracing, you know, the the lessons of life, and that's like because I'm I'm reading um, cutting through spiritual materialism now now by like Chagyam Trungpa Rinpoche, mm-hmm. 
that's like been the biggest message because like I've seen his documentary and I know that the guy slept with his students and got right. he was pretty much an alcoholic. Right. But it's still like, you know, I'm not going to, but at the same time he was human. And right. Of course. I think that was like, I think that was a big reason. Like he wanted to embrace being a human for right. his faults and his not faults. And I think like, like that's the biggest thing. I think we try to, we just focus too much on like, you know, and that's something else that kind of bugs me about like when somebody dies, they all, people always try to paint a picture like everybody was a saint. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's bullshit. Yeah. It's bullshit. Like everybody has their, everybody has their faults. Like I, my one friend, um, when he passed away, like he was only 25 and I'm not trying to be like just downer, but we Mm -hmm. didn't talk about death, but he, he had like a, like he had a kid and Mm -hmm. he he was like a young boy and they had like they had this funeral and, and Eric was really well, my friend was really young. I shouldn't have said his name, but like what bugged me about the funeral was everybody was trying to make him out to be a saint. Like he never got didn't get along with anybody. And I'm like, man, I used to work with this guy. Like, right. Be a fucking asshole. Yeah, but of course. That's what I loved about him. Like, you know yeah. what? I mean? Like, don't 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 take that away. And I. Yeah. So, and I think that's. um, Yeah, I think that's like something that's that's key is just like. You know, live in the now and and embrace yourself for your faults and and what's good about it. I mean, you you definitely want to work to improve yourself, but don't don't try to pretend that you're something that you're not. No, in fact, to me, the entire distinction between sacred and profane, you know, the spiritual and the ordinary, is the ultimate bullshit. Because um, sp- real spirituality is ordinary life, just lived with full awareness. You know, like the case you mentioned, uh, Trumpa, you know, I had no problem with him having sex left and right with a zillion people or with him drinking. Um, I'm a little bugged when there's uh, drinking goes beyond drinking and you are a full blown alcoholic and then the whole sleeping around. There's a power element about sleeping with your students when you are worshipped and all of that kind of stuff. That's the part that bugged me a little bit. Same. But otherwise, the, the exact same actions, I would have no problem with it. You know, that, that being human, you know, getting drunk, having a good time, having sex left, you know, that would be totally fine by me. <laughs> it's, it's the pleasure <laughs> of the senses, mental, yeah. spiritual, social, emotional, all of them. By the way, just for the hell of it, while I was, uh, I just, you guys made me think of this one quote. And so I dug it up while uh, we were at it. There's this one quote that I want to read you just because it's fun and is somewhat related. Is by um, uh, is the writer Howard, the writer who did all the Conan uh, the Conan novels. I wrote this one thing that's about death and the gods and all of it, and is uh, so over the top that it's funny. So I'm just gonna read it to you real quick. Cool. He goes, "I have known many gods." He who denies them is as blind as he who trusts them too deeply. I seek not beyond that. It may be the blackness averred by the, the median skeptics, or Chrome's realm of ice and cloud, or the snowy plains and vaulted holes of the Nordmer's Valhalla. I know not, nor do I care. Let me live deep while I live. Let me know the rich juices of red meat and stinging wine on my palate, the hot embrace of white arms, the mad exultation of battle, when the blue blades flame and crimson. And I am content. Let teachers and priests and philosophers brood over questions of reality and illusion. I know this. If life is illusion, then I am no less an illusion. And being thus, 
the illusion is real to me. I live, I burn with life, I love, I slay, and I'm content. Now this is badass. Fucking awesome. I love that quote. I um, actually I have a book coming out in April, and this is how I open. There's one chapter that's about uh, the existence of God, and that's the opening quote. That is a badass quote. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) I'm still uh, trying to pound through uh, your disinfo book because I. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that should be quick enough. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I start like I have this bad habit of where like I'll pick up one book. And then I'll start reading it, and then I pick up another book, and then I forget to pick back up the other book. And yeah. so I'm constantly reading like 10 books at a time. Right, of course. Yeah, I've done that too. It's, uh, it gets tricky. Unless you read a lot and at least you finish three at the same time, then yes, it's uh, it, it can get tricky. Yeah. I, I like that Conan the Barbarian's other quote that I've always known is his meaning, basically his purpose of life. It's to crush your enemies, see them. Oh, yeah. For you and to hear the lamentation of their women. <laughs> that actually, if I'm not mistaken, that's actually um, John Milius, the guy who wrote Conan the Barbarian, the movie. Uh, he took that. That was a Genghis Khan quote. Really? So I believe that's um, it may be not exactly like that word by word, but close enough. Because I remember reading it and said, no way, this is the Conan quote. You know, it's Genghis Khan. No way. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. I think one of my favorite stories was when you were talking about how you loved watching Conan as a child, but it, it was dubbed in Italian, so you didn't hear oh, a yeah. horrible voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, now when I actually watched it not too long ago, I hadn't watched him forever, and I watched it not too long ago again in English, and I was cracking up half of the time because, you know, it has a whole different feel with this just manly tough voice versus a manly tough voice with this insanely thick Austrian accent is like it's as if somebody would listen Conan the Barbarian by me in English you know what I mean it would just sound kind of funny <laughs> that's not funny when you rewatched it did you watch the director's cut or the the uh, edited version I believe it was. It looked like it was the original one, because um, yeah, all of the scenes they look like they were the same. I don't remember anything new in there, so I'm pretty sure it was the exact same thing. Because the director's cut, like they basically cut out all these like basically like porno scenes where Arnold's just walking in and just like having sex with like dozens of women at a time, basically. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. The, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, was this the um, you're talking about? Was this the image that was there in the in the theatrical release, or right? This was it was cut out of the uh, theatrical release because it was running just a little long, and it was also uh, they were getting a little bit of heat in terms of ratings because um, first of all, it's violent and bloody, and you know. Right. There's still sex in it, but there is a bunch of sex in it. And they're like, you're going to have to cut down some of these. It's like, yeah, we get it. He bones a lot of women. He's the barbarian. He just takes what he wants. Please do send the link. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find it for you and I'll drop Great. it. Great. Do that. <laughs> I don't think I've actually seen that version myself, so oh, I'll yeah. have to check it out. Um, that's That's hilarious. I always think it's interesting, though, like whenever I watch a movie that is in another language and then I read it, mm-hmm. like I always wonder, like, I, I wonder if I think this movie's better because I read the dialogue instead of actually listened to it. Right. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's tricky because ever since they started doing it, even with uh, English movies, you know, like sometime uh, even when it's the language spoken is English, now they use a lot the um, subtitles supposedly for hearing impaired or the reality is that most people use them because somehow, you know, sometimes either there are weird accents such as mine or there's some weird crap anyway. The volume is slightly off, so people like to have it as a background. And yeah, it's it changes a little bit the way you watch stuff. Um, you end up reading a lot more than listening. Yeah. First, uh, I never say it's a weird accent because anytime you can speak more than one language, you are automatically much more intelligent yeah. than the person who, who's speaking it. And anyone who gives anyone good crap for their accent uh, should rethink their lives. You're pretty easy stand too and yeah. i'm pretty sure you have a better understanding of the english language than i do yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> yeah and i mean and um, i really i mean i was trying really freaking hard to get rid of it when i moved here because you know you want to speak the language well and i remember being in new york and everybody being like what did you say? You know, it's like very not exactly making a lot of effort to understand. I mean, California people didn't seem to give a fuck. It was kind of like anybody was, uh, I could just keep my stupid accent and people, not only they didn't give me crap about it, but they were happy about it, particularly women. Yeah. So I was like, in that case, um, that's great. I don't have to struggle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you mean it's going to instantly make me more attractive? Yeah. <laughs> That's the deal. So I was like, perfect. I butchered the English language and women bat their eyes at me. That's great. You were you were the you were the Bellelli the barbarian in that point. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to do it, right? Yeah, how old were you when you came over to the states? 18. That's crazy. No. Yeah. It was, uh, I mean, because Italy is cool and all. It's great to go on vacation. It's very hard to get anything done. People don't take too many chances. It kind of is one of those old cultures where there's a lot of heaviness in that sense. Like there's this mentality of, oh, we've seen it all. We've done it all. What are you going to come up with something new or something? And so there's this cynicism toward innovation, which makes it uh, kind of tough to be able to do anything there. Yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of like, is, are people kind of slow moving too about stuff? Like when they, when they're like in the South, how, like, I think like different areas of the U.S., people always say in the South, people just move slower. Is that kind of like the same thing, like with the older culture? It, it depends which part of Italy you go to, because um, some parts are very kind of urban and uh, very fast paced. And the others are definitely not. So it really depends where you go. We are known for the best westerns, though. I mean, spaghetti westerns go down. Yeah. <laughs> Sergio Leone, Clint Eastwood, and, yeah. and Mondricone's music. Amazing. His music, like I, I, I like get ups, Like I, I love his music, and I like his music. I think made those films more than. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I think like the good, the bad, the ugly is actually the worst out of those three westerns, but it has right. best music. Yeah, it's it so. most epic sound. It it really has that epic feel to it, which makes the movie seem grander. Yeah, have you ever seen there was um, uh, Kenny Florian uh, walked up to uh, a title fight with Sean Shirk, listening uh, to um, Morricone's music. And Floria was dressed as a samurai with the big brim hat with a sword at his side. Morricone's music. He was like 
freaking epic. The fight was like the most boring thing ever, but the walkout, the um, the walkout to the cage was unbelievable. Yeah, that was the same UFC that uh, Anderson Silva first messed up Rich Franklin. In the, is that the same one? Yeah, he fought Sean Shirk, and uh, I just remember Wes and I we were actually watching it in the Hooters, and, right? And uh, we hear that music and we see Kenny Florian, and we really didn't like Kenny Florian at the time, right? Because we didn't really know him, and but then after that we're like, he's a fucking badass for doing. Yeah, when he came out <laughs> yeah. that way, it, it's a shame that basically Sean Shirk just laid him prey. Shortly after, I believe he he tested positive. Right. It was after yeah. his Franca fight. Yeah, yeah. and just the, yeah. Yeah, that was that was pretty awesome, man. That was epic. Uh, yeah, actually, Jason was saying uh, he was telling us how he's got a copy of your leg lock video. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was something else I want to talk to you about because when I first heard you too, I saw that you had three professional fights. I saw you on Sharedog, like you went two, two, two? Oh, yeah, yeah, my bad. But you won both fights. Yeah, but I mean, there's professional and professional, you know what I mean? There's UFC and there's a level that uh, there are, you know, it's like my fights are probably the lowest conceivable level of what's called professional. So, you know, <laughs> it's uh, very, especially Italy and it's already better now, but like maybe four years ago, whenever that was, I think it was about four years ago. Uh, it was kind of like UFC 1995, you know what I mean? It's like people know bits and pieces of the game. Like in Italy, people tend to be really good strikers, decent jiu-jitsu, absolutely no wrestling. So, you know, it's uh, uh, it's changing now, but uh, that definitely helped me a bunch because, um, you know, like I remember the first fight. The first guy was actually pretty damn good. He trained a lot and he was a good striker and... He just, the second he threw the first kick, I just shot in on him and he wasn't used to sprawling that well. And so I just got the takedown. So whatever his skills in striking were, were nullified at that point. And I could play on the ground starting from being on top. So it was a lot easier. So, you know, that that makes the game. uh, It's not like fighting professionally in the US now where everybody knows everything kind of thing. uh, That's a lot harder. It's still pretty badass, man. I mean, there's not many there's not many guys that that teach in college and teach deep philosophy and religion and get on the history channel and go in a cage and beat some ass. <laughs> really? That's not standard curriculum? Huh, I'm confused. Yeah. I thought that was, you know, the the prototype of the typical professor. So, did you always want to be a renaissance man or was that something that you just kind of fell into? No, I mean, ever since I was a kid, it just never made any sense to me how people would do one thing and one thing only. To me, it was always about connections. It was always about any specific field is limited. It's about life, you know. The, so any specific fields is just trying to get at a piece of life. But why stop there? You know, there's so much. The essence of the game is found beyond the specific rules of, of any one field. And uh, people seem to, I don't know why, people seem to love specializing in one thing and never doing anything else. So fighters, they fight and nothing else. Intellectuals only read and talk and write. Uh, Whatever, you know, everybody seems to be one thing. And it just bores me to that. I think it's because people aren't skilled enough. (laughs) Or, Or I just think that people are probably... I mean, I think it's probably more of like, you know, personally being caught up in not really like, I sold phones for four years and 
it was just soul crushing. I was working retail and I was working a lot of hours. I liked money. Awesome because I was making money and I didn't have a degree or anything. But then when it came down to it, like everything I wanted to do, I couldn't do. And then it just got to the point where I, I, man, it's time to get out of here. Right. Absolutely. And I think people get stuck in those, in that, in that mundaneness of, you know, they get trapped and then they, they don't even remember what they like to do or they yep. dream or how to aspire to be anything than what they really are. Right. That's exactly how it is. It's, um, it's amazing that that's the way it works, but yeah, it's um, once you start doing particularly jobs, unless you are insanely thrilled with the job you're doing, it takes up so much of your time and energy that you forget how to be human. Yeah. No, yeah, that's that totally makes sense. Or I think you, you start, like, something else that I did was I, I just started too. And I think it's, and it's just like you, you, you start looking and because you don't normally look for answers. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's exactly how it is. And uh, and there's nothing better than freeing yourself from the crap and when you just make the, kind of take the leap and try to figure out a way to make a living that doesn't completely crush your soul and just suck every energy out of you. Uh, that doesn't get any more important than that, you know, because it really does affect the rest of your life. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, I think, I think for, I don't, I don't know what I was going to say there. Hold on. Okay. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I think <laughs> is, what kind know, of weed are you guys smoking? There's a lot of not remembering there. You know, what's funny is I'm the one that's not smoking anything. <laughs> trying to get another job. Like another part-time job. That's, that's the funny thing about it. No, that's funny. It's critical mass. No, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think what it comes down to is, for me, it, it was once I realized, like once I left, it was, uh, you know, realizing that I just sold out my values for money. And mm-hmm. I think, like for me, it's I'm just trying to to discover how I can make a living again without selling out my values. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not easy. That's for sure. It's it's a tough beast to tackle because it's not an easy one. Not too many people just dump insane amounts of money in your lap just because uh, to let you do what you want to do, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, Drew would be getting paid a lot to masturbate. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people would do that. That would be a very common career path. <laughs> <laughs> Only if we could find a way. um a a joke about that real fast uh apparently 90 percent of all men (laughs) masturbate and the other 10 percent wish they had arms (laughs) yeah that makes i was like 90 percent. what are you talking about like oh okay okay i got it (laughs) it's a bunch of fucking liars out there is what you're saying (laughs) yeah totally (laughs) well that's awesome that's awesome well um i tell you what we're probably uh We'd love to have you on again. You know, we really appreciate you taking time out of your day. Sure. And, uh, yeah, and also just always being available. Like, I kind of, it's always just been, like, just a a cool thing to, I mean, just see how incredibly humble you are and how much you enjoy, like, talking to people. And I think that that says a lot, too, probably about how good of a teacher you are. 
Yeah, because I mean, to me, is um, that's the whole point, right? Just connecting with people, having a good time, chatting, exploring things together. That's why the podcast thing is interesting because it's not purely just a passive audience where you have, you know, one guy putting on a show and everyone else in the audience clapping. But there's a lot more interaction going on. People start their own podcast. And the beauty of it is that, you know, you have the podcast a la Joe Rogan where you get half a million people and then you get the podcast that five people listen to. And it, they are all podcasts and somebody gets some enjoyment out of it, whether it's one person or a hundred thousand. You know, the, the point is everybody can do it. Whereas, you know, nobody can go and play an NBA game or something but everybody can put on a podcast relatively easy. Um, there's something cool about that. Yeah. And thank you very much as well, because uh, for talking to us, uh, you you are far, far, far more knowledgeable on these subjects than everything than we are. So it's always nice when you can talk to somebody who's, who's very intelligent. They're always very welcoming um, to answer questions and to, and to talk to you about things uh, like that. So Either that or I bullshit better. I'm Italian after all so you know you you need to earn your black belt in bullshitting by the time you're 10 years old or you're cast out to see you got to get some good submission skills with it (laughs) yeah exactly speaking of submission skills so has Jason been like locking you guys up like Uh, when you are you know eating chips or something he comes up on you and just slap a heel hook on you guys not yet not yet he was going to help me uh, I just became a doorman uh, part-time job and I've never been about like I'm a I'm a big guy but I'm just not like I'm not really like a I don't try to be physically intimidating like I don't always realize how big I am but right. Jake was gonna be like hey I'll I'll just show you some quick judo holds just in case like, just so you can control someone because cool. you really don't want to like swing punches or anything like that because or even right. someone because it's you can get to litigation but um, that's about it. But no, he's been pretty, he's been pretty cool with us. He hasn't slapped on any leg locks or anything like that yet. Too bad. That's, uh, his homework. He needs to do that. Otherwise, you know, you can't just apply it on the mat. Half of the fun is applying it on unsuspecting people, preferably friends. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if it's, if it's, you know, when we're going to get bacon or yeah. or something delicious. Yeah. Yeah. I think he once went for it. Uh, he's like, oh, look, your shoe's untied. And then uh, right when he went to go for it, I sneezed, and he uh, jumped away from the snot that came out. <laughs> that's uh, textbook defense. Yeah, that's the best defense uh, against any heel hooks or yep. ankle locks. Uh, sneeze in their mouth, preferably. Yeah. <laughs> Works great. I'm surprised no UFC fighter ever, when coating something, managed to learn how to throw up at will. Because I think that would get a pretty good result. I think they let go. Is there a rule in the octagon that you can't throw up on someone? I don't. Well, I, I doubt it. Because I mean, you can You know, you can't really control it. So yeah, there be. Yeah, you know, oh, look at that, Anderson Silva in a bad way. Oh, no, look at that, his projectile vomit move blinds yep. his opponent. Like, how funny would it be if he's dodging punches and then he pukes in a guy's face? <laughs> well, I mean, there were some guys who were doing really disgusting stuff. Like, the Gracies were fairly famous for that, particularly Hoyce and uh, uh, Matt Leanland did the same thing. Like, these guys would not wash for, like, two weeks before a fight. Because then would make grappling like the guy fighting them would be thinking about how much they stink half of the time rather than focusing on what to do, and it would give them an advantage. I kind of feel like Pat Healy. Pat Healy does that. I think. 
Yeah. <laughs> Some guys would do it just because it's natural to them. Some guys just really freaking stink even when they are supposed to be in the regular thing. But yeah, some guys uh, have it down to a science. I stink as a weapon. I've got a hunch big country, even if he does bathe before coming out, might be one of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Where there's like a lost uh, Japanese soldier in his beer who has been there for from World War II that's lost inside uh, his navel or something. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, I'm really impressed with his hands, man. He's been knocking out a lot of guys. It's kind of exciting to see. He's awesome. I like him. Oh yeah. Like he's a great fighter. And I like the fact that he, he, like, I love Dana White, but he refuses to play Dana White's games. Like he refuses to, like he, like he's done that since day one. Yeah, no, he's great. He's fun. He has a good style. He's good on the ground. He's good standing up. He seems like a really nice guy. Uh, I like him. He's really fun. Speaking of uh, leg locks and everything, what did you get to see uh, Joe Lazan try his uh, diving attempt on Jim Miller? Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I saw it. Um, I was, yeah, I saw the fight actually, but I was uh, in the middle of like I had my daughter in my hand, so I was like kind of like seeing it with one eye on the screen and. Uh, one eye away so I kind of remember but not the same as when I actually watch a fight and I um, so yeah it's sort of fog in my ear I remember it was toward the end of the fight right it was when he was all you know looking like hamburger yeah 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 it's toward the end yeah 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 it looked cool yeah but I don't remember why he didn't get it or what was missing from it yeah, I, th- I think it's it's with the weird thing about leg locks in the UFC is it's really rare. I mean, Paul Harris was was getting them on a lot of guys, but recently he hasn't had a lot of luck since uh, Alan Belcher. And and I think it's interesting. Like most of the time when I see guys go for leg locks now, it just ends up them taking lots of punches to the face. Right. I mean, a lot of it I think is generally speaking most people don't know how to defend leg lock which makes it appealing to try it but also a lot of people don't really know how to do it that well either so it's it's kind of tricky it's uh it seemed like a weird thing and also like i mean part of the skill is knowing when the submission doesn't work is not gonna work abandon it and use it as a sweep to end up on top you know what i mean mm-hmm. because if you go for a leg lock more likely than not if you let go of it you can end up on top of the guy but you just need to know when, you know? Yeah, what guys do you think are, are probably are some of the best guys in MMA, like when knowing that their submission isn't doing well and then turning it into a sweep? Uh, I mean, there are a lot of guys who, don't, you know, sweeps are one of the things that you don't see. The technical aspect of, like, jiu-jitsu sweeps is not super common. I mean, you do see it, but, man, when you consider how many fights are there, the proportion is not that high. And even then, it varies a lot with opposition. Like, Nogueira used to sweep everybody. Yeah. He does have these awesome sweeps. And uh, and lately, not so much. And, I mean, part of it is also the skill level that you know it's one thing when you're fighting somebody who's considerably less skilled than you are one thing is when you're dead even but and part of it is just changing style you know some guys who are really good on the ground and they decide that they want to play more the stand-up game because they want to get the knockout of the night or something and they abandon some of their bread and butter but yeah i mean when you think about it there are not that many guys who play a really classic jujitsu games of sweeps and submissions from the bottom and stuff like that. 
a lot of modern MMA is just wrestling, top control, strike, strike, win the round, do it again. Yeah, I think like that was interesting about like Damian Maya when he first came mm-hmm. into MMA, like he choked out Chael Sonnen, he was just running yep. guys, and then Marquardt knocked him out, and it was like he he changed his game, and he just tried to stand with people, like notably yep. that horrible fight with him and Anderson Silva, um, right. And it's just interesting to see guys get away from it, or even like like Gabriel Gonzaga just now started going back to his jujitsu, right. Like he got a couple big knockouts, and it's like it, it, it's like guys forget what they're really good at. Yeah, and uh, a lot of it is. Uh, I mean, like the example of Sean Shirk is perfect because you see a guy who he never had like great jujitsu or anything. He was a good wrestler, would end up on top, would control you, that kind of thing. Boring as hell to watch. And uh, he wanted the submission of the he, he you know he wanted the knockout of the night or the fight of the night, something more exciting. And so he started training a lot more stand-up, which, you know, when you look at his body type, it's just not going to happen. You know what I mean? He's like short, little arms, stocky. It's good to be well-rounded. It's good to know stand-up, but that's definitely never going to be your strength. You know what I mean? So some guys, yeah, occasionally they're becoming well-rounded becomes a trap because they spend way too much time on things that are not their adva- to their advantage. That definitely makes sense. Yeah, it, and I think, I think too, a lot of ground guys might see a guy like guys like Matt Sarah who end up having lots of power in their hands. Yeah, Nelson, who are traditionally ground fighters, and they think that they can have like the same the same success too. Like they'll right. say, "He's a ground fighter. I'm a ground fighter," and it doesn't it doesn't work that way. Right, and even then, you know, use it, throw the big giant bomb. And if you don't get the knockout quick on the big giant looping punches, use those strikes to shoot in and take the fight to the ground. But, you know, take the fight wherever you have the advantage. You know what I mean? Not where you're playing into your opponent's strength. That just, like, it amazes me sometimes how poor the, game, the fight plan is in a lot of top-level guys. I mean, you're thinking it's UFC. You know, everybody should have some... If if they don't have the plan in mind, they should have some amazing coach behind them. And, you know, a lot of guys do. And some guys just don't have, they seem to be following these suicidal game plans the entire time. And you're like, who the hell told them to do that? You know, it just seemed really bizarre. It's also about knowing the matchups, kind of like what you're saying. If you're a great striker, but your opponent's an amazing striker and you're an average wrestler and they have no wrestling defense whatsoever. Yeah. Probably focus more on where where you match up better instead of risking, you know, playing into their strengths, even if it matches up with your strength. Absolutely. Absolutely. You do. It's all about who the other guy is. You know, you do whatever, wherever they are not ready to go. That's where you go. For sure. Well, Mr. Bilali, we, we, uh, I think we're going to be wrapping it up here. Uh, thank you very, 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 very much uh, once again for, for joining us and, and talking to us. My pleasure. Anytime. Yeah, and, hopefully uh, we can have you on again. Um, love, uh, love the Drunken Towers podcast. Yeah. It's, uh, it's awesome. Last yeah. I saw it was number one on the philosophy uh, category. and Yeah, we dropped a little, so you need to you know, tell your grandma, your goldfish, everybody to – to listen i want number one back who's <laughs> out there better go out subscribe comment like favorite tell your friends tell your neighbors uh make multiple accounts to subscribe yeah spend your day doing that because i don't know 
God will reward you or some shit. <laughs> we'll, sound, and, uh, we'll sound like Benny Hinn. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone uh, can check out uh, check you out on Twitter as well. Uh, it's D Bellelli. Yeah, it's D B O L L E. No, no. Yeah, B O L E L L I. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Yeah, and Drew's not very good at spelling. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Clearly, Wes is the brains of the two of us. <laughs> well, we're gonna let you go back to uh, putting kids to bed and punching dudes in the head, and hopefully, you will never confuse the two. Uh, only once in a while. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, sir. And is you guys have a good one. Thank you. Or anything like that? I'm sorry. Say that again else you want to add or anything like that books too everyone check the books they are oh yeah thanks yeah i have a couple of books that are out one is about philosophy and martial arts called on the warrior's path the other one is um kind of little snippets about religion called 50 things you're not supposed to know religion and then there's one that's kind of the one that i've worked on for a really long freaking time that's coming out this april it's called Create Your Own Religion, and it's kind of an MMA approach to religion. It's sort of like taking the best from different religious systems, rejecting the stuff that seems to make no sense or is downright scary in order to come up with your own answers to sort of the key questions of life. Are we able to pre-order that book yet? Yeah, yeah I think so. There's a page on Amazon, so yeah. All right, everyone cool. go out there. Remember to subscribe, Drunken Taoist. I'll and tweet out the uh, the link, too, to buy that book. Yeah, to cool. so they pre-order it. Thank you, guys. Yeah, no, thank no you very much. Thank you so much. Hopefully, we can have you on again soon. You bet. All right, bye. Good night. Good night. Good night.